The following Women's Spaces show was recorded on Monday, May 10th, 2021. The woman in your life will do what she must do to comfort you and calm you down and let you rest now. The woman in your life, she can rest so easily. She does everything you do because the woman in your life is you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Women's Spaces. My name is Elaine B. Holtz, and I'm your host. And with me at the board is my best friend, my partner, my engineer, and my co-producer, Ken Norton. Good morning, Ken. Good morning. Boy, another warm day here in Sonoma County. Well, I have a very special guest with me this morning. Joining me on the phone will be Tina Rogers, who does black history presentations through the spoken word. This is the second Monday of the month, and as part of our History is Our Strength segment, and because our black sisters are often not acknowledged for their accomplishments along with involvement in the women's movement, I have invited Tina every on the second Tuesday of the month to come and talk about two African-American women who not only made history, but had a powerful impact on our life. The two women we're going to be speaking about today is Sojourner Truth and Charlotte Fortin. And I can hardly wait. I've never, I'm not familiar with, I'm familiar with Sojourner Truth, but not with Charlotte Morton. So that should be a very, very interesting conversation. Well, On May 4th and May 5th, I sat in front of my computer and listened to two days of reports uh, that were made by the Santa Rosa City Council on what happened in May of of 2020, last year after the death of uh, George Floyd. Uh, They had several presentations looking at this issue, and I, I found it very interesting. I really did. You know, right now, if people are interested in finding out about it and listening to it, you can go on Facebook, it's our, there, or go on to the Santa Rosa City Council website, and they will direct you to how to get to the uh, presentations. There were several uh, reports made. Uh, one report was made by the Human Rights Commission, and I have to do a huge shout-out to them, to Jerry Threet, and also to Dimitri, um, oops, Dimitri I forgot her last name. I'm really sorry about that. But a shout out to them with a wonderful, wonderful job they did presenting to the commission and uh, to the audience. It was just amazing. Another report was made, and this was a little bit disturbing to me, by a consulting firm. And one of the things they said that really kind of confused me a little bit, that some of the violence that the police uh, projected onto the protesters was unintentional, some of the harm that was done. And that, that, that word, unintentional, really kind of shocked me. It was, uh, they called it an after-action review uh, of the response to peaceful protest and civil unrest uh, in May and June of 2020. Very, very interesting presentation. You know, I really would recommend people uh, go on to Facebook and to listen to them. And then also another report was made by the Community uh, Empowerment Plan Listening Session Report. That was also very interesting. Another group of consultants came on and talked about some of the issues that were happening. And then at the last report was a police reform update, and our police chief here in Santa Rosa gave a report of what happened 
and some of the changes that the Santa Rosa Police uh, uh, Department had actually made. So it's, it's very important, I think, as citizens of a country, as citizens of a community, of citizens as of a city, it's very important that we are updated and understand what is going on. And this has been a very, it was a very, very important report. So once again, if you want to find out more information about this, just go to the Santa Rosa City website and they will guide you to Facebook and you can uh, watch the whole presentation. You know, when I start thinking about it, the only way that we're going to make change is if all of us stand up and become involved. I mean, I'm becoming more and more concerned about what's happening in the world as time goes on. Well, you know, as I do a every Monday, we do a segment called Our History is Our Strength. And I'm really excited. There's some very interesting women that came up this month. And I want to thank the uh, National Organization for uh, the National Alliance for Women here in Sonoma County for on their website is really interesting. They have all kinds of different birthdays and all kinds of acknowledgments of women and some of the things that they have done over over this last several hundred years, actually. Well, today is May 10th. And in, in, on May 10th, 1872, Victoria Woodhull is nominated as the first woman candidate for the U.S. president for the Equal Rights Party. I didn't even know they had an Equal Rights Party. I think that's very, very interesting. And also another woman that was nominated for president. Of course, she didn't make it, but at least she was nominated. And that was all the way back in 1872 before we even had the vote. I mean, I think that's amazing. I'm going to have to do a little bit more research to see how that happened. You know, when we didn't, when we weren't on the, uh, in the Constitution that we could vote. Oh, I'm sorry. I have a correction here. I want to thank Demetri Smith from the Human Rights Commission. She has retired. She was the chair for a while. I want to thank her for the wonderful, wonderful presentation that she did uh, on this uh, the uh, review over uh, what happened May 2020 with the protest downtown in Santa Rosa. Another interesting uh, person that happened, a uh, thing that happened on May 12th, 1968. You know, we've just Yesterday was Mother's Day, and on May 12, 1968, a 12-block Mother's Day march of welfare mothers is held in Washington, D.C., led by none other than Coretta Scott King, accompanied by Ethel Kennedy, who was the uh, wife of uh, Robert Kennedy. My goodness, that's amazing. A 12-block Mother's March of Welfare Mothers is held in Washington, D.C., led by these two wonderful women. I, I, I vaguely remember that. It's kind of interesting. 1968, it seems like an awful long time ago. Well, a special happy birthday. You know, we are a bilingual station here on KBBF, and a special happy birthday to Ellen Ochoa, who was an engineer, a former astronaut, and the current director, she's the current director of the Johnson Space Center, the first Hispanic woman in the world to go to space when she served aboard the shuttle Discovery. So happy birthday to Ellen Ochoa. Amazing, amazing when you start finding out the wonderful things all these women are doing. 
Well, as you know, Sunday was Mother's Day, and I have to say it was a wonderful day. I celebrated it with my family and my daughter and my beautiful great-granddaughter, Satori, and it was an amazing, amazing feeling being together with family. And what was so exciting is that most of us are... uh, vaccinated. So what happened is is that we didn't have to wear a mask, which <laughs> we got to see each other's faces, which was very very exciting to me. You know, Mother's Day uh Mother's Day is a very interesting uh, uh proposition here, you know. I always I always say that our history is our strength. And Mother's Day has a very, you know, originally it was an anti-war uh Celebration. It was women that went to the uh, to the battlefields of the Civil War, and they found out that all these young men they they found baskets. I mean, literally baskets of uh, arms and legs that were cut off from these soldiers, and and they they said, you know, that they have to come together for peace. That mothers have to make a decision that they do not want to send any of their sons to kill another mother's son. And I, I just think I just think that's an amazing thought. And oft, oftentimes we forget about those things because history is not made known to us. And so what I'm going to do uh, for today, I thought it would be very, very interesting if we listen to the Mother's Day uh, proclamation that was written by Julia Ward Howe. And that that came out of the whole, I, the whole idea of having having peace and that women have to stand up and not send their sons to kill another mother's son which oftentimes i have said that because when you come, when you think about it if any if any one of our children is in jeopardy all of our children are in jeopardy that that's the amazing that's an amazing thing to start thinking about you know i think about that often i really do i think about wow you know how can we have peace on earth? And I think the most important thing is to stand up as women and say, we are not going to allow our children to kill other mothers' children. And I think that is a very important, an important idea. So we're going to take, we're going to take a musical break right now. And I thought it would be very interesting to, uh, listen to the Mother's Day proclamation, uh, that was, uh, written by Julia Howe, and it's recited by Gazella Rowe. And when we come back, I'm also going to do a little a little piece on Code Pink. They also wrote an addition to the uh, Mother's Day proclamation, their own Mother's Day proclamation, to make it a little bit more modern. So, Ken, let's go ahead and let's play the Mother's Day proclamation, and when we come back, we'll talk about the Code Pink proclamation and other things related to Mother's Day. Mother's Day Proclamation by Julia Ward Howe Arise then, women of this day, arise all women who have hearts. Whether your baptism be of water or of tears, say firmly, we will not have questions answered by irrelevant agencies. Our husbands will not come to us, reeking with carnage, for caresses and applause. Our sons shall not be taken from us to unlearn, all that we have been able to teach them of charity, mercy and patience. We, the women of one country, will be too tender of those of another country to allow our sons to be trained to injure theirs. From the voice of a devastated earth, a voice goes up with our own. It says, disarm, disarm. The sword of murder is not the balance of justice. Blood does not wipe our dishonour, nor violence indicate possession. 
as men have often forsaken the plough and the anvil at the summons of war, let women now leave all that may be left of home for a great and earnest day of council. Let them meet first as women to bewail and commemorate the dead. Let them solemnly take counsel with each other as to the means whereby the great human family can live in peace. Each bearing after his own time the sacred impress, not of Caesar but of God, in the name of womanhood and humanity, I earnestly ask that a general congress of women without limit of nationality may be appointed and held at some place deemed most convenient and the earliest period consistent with its objectives to promote the alliance of the different nationalities, the amicable settlement of international questions, the great and general interests of peace. Wow. Amazing, amazing. And the most important thing is not to, a mother should not encourage her son to go to war at all, to kill another mother's son. I think that is just amazing. Well, you just listened to the Mother's Day proclamation, which I think is very, very interesting. And also to remind folks, uh, for you just joining us, I want to remind my listeners that the opinions expressed here are not necessarily the opinions of the station, the board of directors, the members, or women's spaces. Well, we just listened, like I said, uh, we listened to the uh, Mother's Day proclamation by Julia Ward Howe, and it was recited by Gazella Rowe. And now what I'd like to do is read the Mother's Day proclamation. Uh, call, it's called the Divest from War with Code Pink, the Mother's Day proclamation 2019 by Riviera Sun. I just love this. This is a very powerful statement. Instead of flowers, give us peace. Instead of brunch and the wars, let no more mothers raise their children to kill other mothers' children. Give us instead the abolishment of war, the promotion of peace, and the care of people and planet. To commemorate Mother's Day without demanding these changes rings flat. For every mother appreciating the beauty of the spring, there is another mother screaming under the terror of bombs and bullets. For every mother savoring breakfast in bed, there is the mother hungry and unhoused, stateless and fleeing from the war. We, the mothers and the children of mothers, stand united against war and united for the well-being of people and planet. Just listen to this. We, the mothers and the children of mothers, stand united against war and united for the well-being of people and planet. What an amazing thought. Women standing together for peace, for love, for the children of the world. I mean, if one child goes to bed hungry or one child is in a war zone, it threatens all children. So I want to repeat this one more time. We, the mothers, and the children of mothers, stand united against war and united for the well-being of people and planet. What a vision that is. That is really a vision. Well, we're going to take a musical break now, and as I announced last month, the second Monday 
is part of the history of our strength segment. And when we return, I'm going to have Tina Rogers joining me on the phone. Tina will be talking about the accomplishments of our American, our African-American sisters, Sojourner Truth and Charlotte Fortune, who not only made history, but had a powerful impact. And the song I'm going to play is called Black Women in History, sung by Reese Palmer and Snookunk. And then when we return, we will be talking with Tina Rogers. We're about to take a trip and travel through time and learn about some ladies that changed all of our lives. Yeah. Yeah. You're 
Wow, what a powerful song that is, Black Women in History. Well, welcome back. You are listening to Women's Spaces, and I'm your host, Elaine B. Holtz. And without further ado, I want to introduce my guest. Joining me on the phone is Tina Rogers. Welcome, Tina. Welcome to Women's Spaces. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Oh, I think it's great. How'd you like that song? Uh, I think the song was great. I love the vibe. I love the story, the history. I know amazing. it's it's just it's just amazing, and I really appreciate you coming on. And before before we go into the uh, talking about these two wonderful women, uh, I'd like to tell our listeners a little bit about you. Is that okay? Yes. Tina Rogers is a native of Sonoma County, devoted her life to trying to understand this beautiful planet, the humans, and other species that share our world. A true humanitarian is what she represents through research, education, communication, and communication with other cultures, allows her to see the big picture. While attending UC Davis, she turned her passion for the arts, fitness, and wellness into a popular example of master teaching, not only to children, but people of all ages. She is a role model and enjoys using art education and fitness as tools to cracking the code in child development that lasts a lifetime. I have seen, personally, I've seen many of her presentations on black history through the first spoken word and dance and found the experience to be both educational and inspiring. Welcome, Tina. Welcome to Women's Spaces once again. And doing this segment, I'm really excited about doing this segment about uh, talking about black women in history and that you're willing to come on. So let's start. Unless you have, do you have anything else to to add to your little bio here? Not really. I just want to tell you, um, thank you for all that you do. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Well, let's start with Sojourner Truth, which is one of my favorite women. I mean, she wrote that Ain't I Woman poem that's very, very popular. Talk about who was she and what what is she known for and and what is inspiring to to you about her? Yeah, you know, I'm I'm so happy that uh, we decided to focus on Sojourner Truth. You know... um, She's actually her her birth name is Isabella Bomfrey, and so she was going by the name of Bella, and so she was born I would say um, approximately like 1797, and uh, she passed in about was it 1883. Um, she's really known for uh, being a, a balanist. Um, excuse me, I can't say it correctly. Um, abolishing slavery. And let's say the capturing of the enslaved and also women's rights. And not just for black women, African American women, Negro and colored women, but also for all women. And that's why when you had brought up the, the you know, Ain't I a Woman that she had did in uh, 1851 from a, in front of a large audience of feminists, you know, it was like, hey, you know, she's a woman as well. You know, um, can she get helped over, you know, puddles? Can she get help, you know, out of the carriages and, you know, all kinds of stuff. But what really, um, what really, really impressed me is her life story of being like with her family and then by the age of nine being sold um, to other slave masters or we call them planters. And during that short period of time, like within probably like six years, she was already sold like, you know, more than three times. And her first initial one is being sold 
you know, with a flock of sheep for $100. A flock and of sheep? She was sold with a flock of sheep. Oh because at this time, you know, at, at this time, what we were talking about is uh, property, that these humans are property. And so it's just like what we have today with our cattle, our sheep, our pigs, any of that kind of stuff. It was the same type of business that was going on in the beginning of the formation of the United States, just after the Revolutionary War. You know, but when we're talking about Sojourner Truth, the thing about her is that, you know, her life was, you know, really, really tough, you know, being enslaved and, and sold numerous times. And, you know, she has vivid memories of suffering from violent abuse from the masters and sexual abuse as well. She ended up having about 13 children. Um, most of them were sold off into slavery, and she never was able to see them again. Um, one of the things that really worked out for her at one period of time is that, uh, and this is all have taken place in the state of New York, and, you know, this is like one of the first states early on that had abolished slavery prior to President Abraham Lincoln's well, you know, signing the proclamation. Tina, yeah. I want to inject something here, you know, around the 13 children and, and being given away the way they were. You know, England was the first leg to abolish uh, slavery. And when they mm-hmm. abolished slavery, all of a sudden the United States got really up in arms about it because how were they going to get their slaves? So they started breeding slaves. And mm-hmm. so the women had to breed children, and the children were taken away from them. Yeah. I mean, to think... As, as with her. Yeah, and to think about the... Can you imagine the cruelty of that? Yeah, it's, it's very vivid. <laughs> it's um, because this is, this, is a, um, this is a truth. And so, you know, we'll get to that part. The interesting thing about her, she was the first woman, black woman to win a case to get one of her children back, her son Peter. Her son Peter was five years old and in New York, and then he was captured or taken, kidnapped, whatever you want to call it, and then he was sold to a planter in Alabama. And so she won that case and was able to get her child back. So that's, you know, one of the things. And she was also able to take one of her infant daughters um, and leave because at the one time her owner was like, okay, you know, you stay here for a while, we're going to, you know, let you go, you know, you're free to go, then he reneged on that. And so it's not necessarily like she would say, I didn't run away, you know, she walked away. And did she leave um, some of her children there as well? Yes, because there's this thing called indentured servants, and the laws were at that time is that you would have to work the land or work however, and then in the age, I think it's at 20 or sometime in your 20s, then you were free from that. Yeah, so it's... um, you know, when you're talking about the children and, and all that and then the mating and when she first was having children, um, some of, you know, like she jumped the broom and that's like the term of getting married um, for our culture. So she she married an older man and with him she had like four children. So I think Peter was one of those at the time. Boy, I'll tell you, when you think, when you think back... At that time, what it must have been like for women. I mean, right now, as women, you know, when we had the women's movement and we're able to speak out, and there are women that are really against women speaking out, they need to look back to history and look back to a time when you couldn't say anything. You didn't even have the right to own your own property, let alone here was a woman that was enslaved. You know, I want to read something very interesting about her. Uh, 
1875, she lived in, uh, Bat- she returned to Battle Creek, and then she died in 1883. But before that, uh, she was part of the, uh, I guess it was the, called the Freeman's Village in Arlington Heights, Virginia. And she also attended meetings of the American Equal Rights Association where she called for the vote for both black women, and, excuse me, for both black men and women and women in general. So she was very much involved in the suffrage movement. And what happens is oftentimes African American women are kind of forgotten. You know, they don't, because they didn't get the vote at that time, people don't realize that they still struggled with the Caucasian women to make sure that it happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I want to say this, when you had brought up England, in her early life until, I would say, at least like 11, she only spoke Dutch. So when she was sold, she was sold to, like, people that spoke English as well. So her things, like, she had to learn, like, another language. And then from there... You know, she's reading and doing all kinds of stuff. So she considered herself to be, you know, uh, the spreader of the gospel. Um, she she considered herself to be an author. You know, she published, she did an autobiography in, uh, it was 1850. Um, she spoke for everyone, but the thing about her, she felt like she had like three hearts in her body because there would be times when she would be the only black person, and especially the woman that was speaking in front of a large you know, crowds of men, angry men that were getting violent and, and, you know, ready to burn down the tent that she was speaking from. <laughs> and so what she would do, she would say poems and she would start singing. And oh. then that kind of sort of changed and changed their hearts and, and all of that. But what she did is she was bold. She was brave. She was um, inspiring. And she did everything she could, you know, for the rights of not only her people, but everyone else. And so much so that when it came to the Civil War, she was recruiting black men to join the Union. Um, she was also invited, and I believe it was like 1864, to meet with President um, Abraham Lincoln at the time. So this woman here, you know, was a big deal at this time. And when she was 46, that's when she changed her name to Sojourner Truth. Because the truth shall always prevail, you know. And I, I want to um, I want to say this quote that I found like you know phenomenal. Um, what Sojourner Truth was saying, you know, to everyone and especially the women, you know, if women wanted, you know, any uh, rights more than what they have, then why don't they just take them? <laughs> and stop talking about it. Well, we're coming, we're, we're just coming to a time where, you know, women more and more, I'm thinking about what's happening in the, in the, uh, in Washington with Lynn Cheney, how, how she's being abused, you know, it's, it's, it's just, it's just an ongoing thing. Well, you know, as an African American woman yourself, when you read something about, when you read something about a woman like this and you hear you are reporting about her, what, what does that do for you as a woman? You know, uh, um, that's a, Great question. So for me, it's, you know, this is, this is my experience. And what it says is that we're standing on the shoulders of some powerful women, um, whether they were enslaved or not or at any time, and they worked so hard to get us all the rights that we have today. And we're still talking about it as if, you know, we don't have the rights. And there's still issues and problems with that. And so for me, I feel like I need to do more, like, for instance, things like this, and also spread the information and the word 
to the children and to you know society through the rest of society so that we can make you know some changes because here it is we're talking about stuff that's like two three hundred years old well you know? also just the fact that it went, yeah. just the fact that it went on you know just the fact that that you know through history that human beings were willing to do this to one another you know you have to guard against it well thank you her story Thank you so much for, you know, this is such a, this is such an, for me personally, it's very inspiring because I think of myself as a Caucasian woman and mm-hmm. and having maybe a little bit more privilege than an African-American woman at times. This, mm-hmm. this, this gives me an awareness and an awakening, not only as a woman, but how important it is that as women, we join hands and we stand up for each other. And, you know, it's interesting when I think of 13 children. I mean, we just had Mother's Day. You know, we're giving candy and, mm-hmm. and flowers and everything. And I'm thinking of this woman of Sojourner Truth. I mean, the feeling it must be when all of a sudden you have give birth. I mean, birth itself is a, is a, is a, is an experience. And then all of a sudden they take that child away from you and you, it's sold and you don't know what's going to happen to it. So it's a, it's a really a phenomena. And I'm glad, I'm, I'm glad at least we're not there today although when we look at the border what they did with the children at the border i mean they're finally coming together and trying to bring them together with their parents and their families but still it happened it happened again in our generation where children were taken away from their parents in such a brutal way so i thank yeah. you i thank you for reporting happen. so let's let's go to the new the next person i've never heard of this person charlotte Forten. i love that name for 10 charlotte for 10 tell us a little bit about her <laughs> and and what was what was inspiring to you about her yeah well you know well let's give her her due rights her name is uh charlotte van dyne and her married name, she married him as Fortin. So she would go by uh, Charlotte Van Dyne Fortin Sr. And how she got the Fortin name, she married a wealthy uh, man, James Fortin, who was um, who was free. His grandfather um, was already free, and so they were already making money, having businesses. There, he was a cell maker. So Charlotte was uh, born in 1785 in Philadelphia. And James, uh, he was born in 1776. So what happened with them? So you have these people that have businesses. They are free, and they're more of the elite of the societies. So you got to remember that we're still dealing with socioeconomical things that are going on at the same time. You know, in contrast to Sojourner Truth, at the same time was enslaved. You have these wealthy people, and the wealthy and the society people, they all, you know, would stick together. So what, what, how this all got started, you know, um, is that, you know, the, the big thing that, 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 at that time is that a lot of times when you have clubs and organizations, it's all men. Women are not involved. And that's what happened with Charlotte. You know, her husband was involved with... Um, the abolishing of slavery and other type of uh, groups and all. Um, but, you know, since she's a female, she couldn't do that. So I would say, like, for these guys, like, they were, I would say, the in Philadelphia at that time, yeah, they were, they were pretty big. Now, they sent their kids to private schools and had private tutors. Um, they, they were founding and financing at least, like, six different abolishment organizations, and 
the one thing that when she was like, okay, I'm going to do something else, I'm going to join hands, and she included her daughters. So what they did, they had the Philadelphia Female Anti-Slavery Society. They started that in 1833. Why? Because she couldn't join in with her husband. So there were about like 18 different women, and these are all elite, um, probably like about 14 of them or so were black, at least at that time, you know, highly educated business owners and all of that. And the cool part that we were talking about earlier is how Caucasian, Caucasian or you can say European-American and Eurasian-American people came together. So these women, um, they're, let's just say both white and black, came together. And at that time, there were a lot of, you know, women, hey, we're doing the suffrage stuff and, you know, women's rights, but not black women. Well, so this was, was like the very first biracial one. Yeah, that's what's very interesting about her, about uh, Fortin, is that she actually, she was Caucasian and she married a black abolitionist. And then it was her daughter, I believe it was her daughter, Harriet Fortin Provis, that also joined her later on. And they were very affluent and they helped, they, they did the, they actually laid the groundwork, if I, if I remember correctly, for the National Women's Rights Convention in October 1854 and also helped organize in Philadelphia the Suffrage Association of 1866. And it looked like there was a, a kind of a family uh, a whole family tree here of women that were very, very much involved being abolitionists and making sure that, that freedom was attained and also, you know, fighting so hard for the vote. And oftentimes, as as women here in our country, you know, it took us a hundred, it, it's only been a hundred years since we've had the vote. I mean, that's not very long and women still don't vote. But we don't realize or recognize how many women were actually involved, like the Fortens, mm-hmm. you know, that they were highly involved in making sure that suffrage got, you know, got we got the vote. And so a special shout out for that, you know, was really amazing to me. So with, with the with the Charlotte, what what what, what did you gleam out of her? How did how did that make you feel finding out all these things, especially the whole idea of the interracial aspect of it? I mean, when I when I read up on her and saw the interracial, I thought, oh my God, what a step that woman took! You know, just the courage to even marry a black man at that time. Yeah, so that that's the whole thing that, that a lot of people are, are mistaken that with that she was just a white woman and then married a black man at that time. So what they, you know, I mean, what they definitely would call that would be considered they're a black wealthy family. So they're, you know, they're, you'll have a lot of mixed race things going on and people that can pass, but they're black people that the, um, the, that the Van Dyne or the Fortunes are. Now, also during slavery, you also have different mixtures of going on just because of plantation life. And, you know, one, Man could be owning one, and his brother and cousin with the same bloodline can also impregnate people that are on the plantation. What I found, what I thought was really, really awesome, is that that uh, Charlotte, that her daughters were became teachers. Her daughters were educators. Her daughters were abolitionists, and her daughters also one of them at least uh, had a school. I think that was Margaret. And she was un- unmarried, so remained unmarried. But her other sisters, they married into the previous families. So they also married into other elites, but the other abolitionist families. So they basically, like, bred and stayed together. And I look at that, and, and it's just like now. You know, um, 
it's a socioeconomic thing. You have very, very wealthy, or you can have very, very poor. You can have indigent servants, or you can have different ones. So I thought that was very, very fascinating. And just the idea of, you know, we look back at like 200 years ago, and we think like life was like, oh, you know, it was horrible for everybody and all that. It's not necessarily true. And, you know, a lot of people are able to tell stories and we're like envisioning like, oh, my God, this was all, you know, this was this way and that way and that way and this way. It wasn't, you know, true. There was a lot, a lot of free Amer- uh, of American black people that were never enslaved. Like their families were never enslaved. So there's a lot of history that has to be dug up because we keep talking about the same thing. Now, what I really, really like about the Fortin family and their legacy is how they were the ones that were the officers of the organization and um, creating the constitution of the organization and just leading the forefront. And this was leading the forefront well before the uh, before uh, President Abraham Lincoln did the proclamation of uh, an emancipation. Well, you know, it's, inter- it's interesting when you dig into history. You know, the more you dig into history, that's why I say the segment is called Our History is Our Strength, because the history gives us an idea of what other people accomplish and under the circumstances. I mean, mm-hmm. even even though they were wealthy people, even though they had some privilege, they still had the stigma of the color and and still had to work harder than anybody else in order to get their voice heard or to get their rights met. So it's it's mm-hmm. a, it's a, an amazing story. Well, you know, this is the third time we've done this segment and I just like to get a little feedback from you. What how well, how is this impacting you being able to share all this information with our audience? You know, it makes me feel very very good. It makes me feel very good that on when when in spaces that you know, it's a it's a platform that I get to share and and things that I hold dear to my heart. Um, I get to share them with the rest of the community, um, and I think this is a you know a great program, and I appreciate that you and I are both taking our time to do this. Well, I'm going to take a little more time now because next month. It's Juneteenth month. So I thought maybe we would just throw in a little plug. We're going to be having a, a Juneteenth Zoom on June 20th. Uh, tell us a little bit about Juneteenth, you know, how, how this also impacted people and why you feel that's an important holiday or important uh, uh, event to share. Well, you know, thank you for bringing that up. You know, and Juneteenth has to do specifically with June 19th in the state of Texas. So the actual Independence Day is January 1st. So January 1st is the Independence Day from slavery. Juneteenth has to do with the last state of Texas where the United States government, federal government, had to go to Texas so that they can stop doing slavery. Because when slavery was over on January 1st, 1963, no, 18, that, was it 19, I mean, excuse 1860? Me, excuse me, 1863, <laughs> yes. In 1863, it still took two and a half years later for the state of Texas to stop. And we're talking Galveston, Texas. So that's what Juneteenth is about. It's about, like, wrapping our arms around, you know, the history of the te- of Texas and, you know, what was going on there. But for everyone, Independence Day, for African Americans, for Negroes, colored 
indigenous people here. It is January 1st, 1963. We've all been reading this stuff from, um, you know, since we were all children in elementary school about President Abraham Lincoln freeing the slaves. So now what does America have to do and what does the rest of the world have to do? We all have to embrace this and we all have to get it together. Because right now we're talking about things that were from 1863. We're talking about people that were born in 19, oh, excuse me, 1797. And we're having the same exact issues right now in 2021. How is that? These people are not 200-some years old. So Juneteenth is a celebration, and we like to bring light to that. And also another thing is uh, June is Black Music Month. So that that's a way to do a celebration. But Juneteenth is not the total complete end of slavery for um, African Americans that we call today. Well, you know, it's interesting you said 1963, because even, <laughs> even in 1963, I mean, we still mm-hmm. didn't have the Voting Rights Act. Mm-hmm. You know, so, I mean, it, it, when you think about the, the, the uh, centuries have passed, two centuries have passed, and we're still struggling. And even today, when I was listening to Amy Goodman's show before here, we're still talking about voter suppression going mm-hmm. into African-American neighborhoods and trying to suppress the vote because they're the ones who come out the strongest for the Democratic Party. And so it is, can, it's just amazing to me. So it was no accident that you said 1960. Can I say something? Yeah, go ahead, my love. Yeah. Okay, so that, that's here's the thing. So when slavery was um, over in 1863, okay, we have the Juneteenth, or you know, we call it Juneteenth, uh, slavery, uh, Texas. Okay, that's 1865, right? So after that, I would say by the early 1870s, the majority of legislation in Congress and all that kind of stuff, they were pretty, probably like 40 percent at least black. So that's what that from that. From having all these people in politics and voting these people in, that's what started the whole big, like, white supremacy. That's when the KKK um, came about. So what happened is black people were the Republican Party. So what they're seeing right now, they're seeing the same thing. So basically what happened in the 1870s or the 1880s, which caused all of the super, super, super racism because these people were no longer what we call enslaved, indentured servers, servants. So right now, which that's why you're going to continuously have people try to suppress something, suppress something, or you'll have redlining, or we're going to redraw districts so these people can't do that. Who are these people that are trying to stop it? Who are these people that are trying to prevent it? Because they sure weren't born in 1870s. So what we're having is we're having a continuation of new breed of people of the same type of bloodline doing the same thing over and over and over and over. And now that's what has to stop. Well, when you so say you're talking about voting, yeah. Go ahead. When you say who are these people, that's a good mm-hmm. question. I mean, when you when you really think about it, when you really think mm-hmm. about it, I mean, such a big issue is made over the external, which is the color of the skin. I mean, it just mm-hmm. it doesn't make any sense to me. So anyway, Tina, we have coming to the end of our segment right now, and I would like if you have a website or an email that people can get a hold of you. I know you do presentations that maybe they would like you to come to their school or into their group. So do you have any information? you can give us about how to get a hold of you yeah the best way to reach out to me would be through email 
and it is con- uh, called Funky Style Street Dance at Gmail dot com. You want to spell that out? F U N K Y Funky Style S T Y L E. Regular word street, and of course, we all love to dance at Gmail dot com. Funky Style Street Dance at the. Um, at gmail.com and I'm available for um, I do presentations assemblies programs after school programs library programs so these are things that I didn't say earlier on in the show but um, I just want to say thank you so much for doing this segment because this is very informative for all of your listeners and this um, here is kbbf.org of 89.1 it can be streamed all around the world and of course womenspaces.org you can find any type of archive if you miss it or or if you don't make the one at 11 o'clock, because this will repeat. So I want to say to you, Elaine Beholtz, thank you very much, because this is really, really informative and for everyone. And now everyone now has the technology to go take some of the stuff that they heard that we were talking about today and do their own research and then share it with their own family and their own friends. Very thank important. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you, Tina Rogers. Thank you for being such a great guest. And I look forward to next month. Remember, it's the second Tuesday of the month when we have all this wonderful history about our black sisters. Thank you so much, Tina. Right on, sister. Well, that is really, I mean, let's face it. You know, history, our history is our strength. And you find out all these things about these different women. I am totally blown away, to be honest with you, that so much history is hidden from us. It, 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 it's, it's sad. It's sad because I think once we know the history, once we know how we all have worked for one another, we have all women have tried to make a better world for women and our children, all women. And we all need to come together. You know, like go back to that, uh, Code Pink's Mother's Day proclamation. I mean, I just, I just think it's amazing. I mean, when I listen, when I listen just to sojourn the truth, I mean, just think about it. If you're a mother out there, if you had 13 children and all of a sudden somebody comes around and says, Hey, that child doesn't belong to you. It belongs to me and I'm going to give it away to another country, another person. I mean, it must be, I mean, it must be heart-wrenching. I mean, it, it, I, I just can't, I, I just can't fathom it. And I want to just repeat this once again. We, the mothers and the children of mothers, stand united against war and united for the well-being of people and planet. All people, all women, all children. Very, very important. Well, I want to end this show. You know, we're coming to the end of this segment, the end of the show, actually. I want to end this show by wishing all mothers across the globe a happy Mother's Day. And to remember, we have been endowed by the Creator to bring forth life, and we must stand up for the future of that life. When one mother's child is harmed, all mother's children could be harmed. When mother, one mother's child is killed, all of our children are at risk. My condolences to all the mothers who have lost sons and daughters who lost their children through violence. I mean, I just read what before we left to come to the studio this morning, I read in the Press Democrat that there was a shooting in Colorado. Seven people were killed at a birthday party. Who knows for what reason? You know, all these people were all mothers' children. All of these people, everybody has a mother. 
I mean, we could not come into this world without a mother. And that's why I don't understand why women are put in such a second place rather than in first place. We should be honored not just on Mother's Day, but each and every day of our lives for what we bring forward to. You know, and for my final song, you know, for today, I want to play this song for the mothers. And and what it is, is it's my way of saying that I am sending condolences. I mean, I think I think of what's going on in the world with the shootings, you know, the children. I mean, 13 years old. I mean, I think of young Andy Lopez. I'll never forget when I went to a, a, a meeting and I met his mother and I looked into her eyes and the pain that I saw. All I could think was, creator, do anything you want to me, but please do not do this. So let's go ahead and listen to For the Mothers, uh, Ken, and then we will end the show. I sing for the mothers all over the earth, for their power, for their love. I ache for the mothers all over the earth, for their sorrow, for their love. May their broken hearts be cradled, may their righteous anger be heard. I pray for justice and healing for all of the mothers Sing for the mothers of soldiers at war, for their power, for their love, for the mothers of soldiers at war, for their sorrow, for their love. May their broken hearts be cradled, may their righteous anger be. listen to that song my heart just goes out to every woman every mother who's lost a child through violence through war and i just want to read one last thing from the mother's day proclamation that we read at the beginning by uh, julia ward howe and this says we will not 
have great questions decided by irrelevant agencies. Our husbands shall not come to us reeking with carnage for caresses and applause. Our sons shall not be taken from us to unlearn all that we have been able to teach them of charity, mercy, and patience. We, women of one country, will be too tender of those of another country to allow our sons to be trained to injure others. From the bosom of the devastated earth, a voice goes up with our own. It says, disarm, disarm. Well, that's a lot to think about. A special thank you to Tina Rogers for a wonderful, wonderful presentation. A reminder, you've been listening to Women's Spaces. My name is Elaine B. Holtz, and I have been your host. I want to remind my listeners, our children are the future. We must never, ever lose sight of that. We must make sure that all wars and all violence come to an end. And the only way it's going to happen is if we stand up and speak out. And just like she said at the end of this, at the end of this particular poem, disarm, disarm, disarm. And that's our prayer. That's our prayer for today. So this is Elaine B. Holtz. You've been listening to Women's Spaces. I look forward to being with you the next time and to remind you that Women's Spaces will be repeated tonight at 11 p.m. And I look forward to being with you next week. The previous Women's Spaces show was recorded on Monday, May 10th, 2021.